Welcome. You're listening to IDGen episode number 11. We track down interesting stories about crypto hacks, mysteries, exploits, scams, really anything that feeds our crypto curiosity. We're digging through the misinformation and hype out there to find signal in the noise for you. My name is Zach, and I'm also here with my co-host, Hunt. What's going on, Hunt? Oh, feeling good today. Episode number 11, my lucky number. So I'm excited. This uh, this week has not been as catastrophic and crazy as other weeks, but there's still lots for us to report on. So always uh, excited to dive deep with you. Yeah. So this week's uh, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about the Akela bug, new liquidity pool that was deployed there, led to... Uh, exploit of some cash. We're going to talk about, you know, this has been a topic that we've had going on, but we're going to talk about the anti-crypto sentiment. I'm I'm really interested in tracking this and I've now finding anti-crypto documentaries. And specifically, I came across a comment this morning that there's just, I mean, there, to be honest, there's a lot of really good criticism, I think. So I wanted to run through that We'll talk about that. And uh, yeah, I think to kick it off, we could jump right into the news. Yeah, let's do it. What do we got going on? So this week, uh, Coinbase announced that it's going to pause deposits and withdraws temporarily during the Ethereum merge as a safety precaution. Bloomberg is reporting that that was the prequel to Coinbase stock dropping 8%. Just that seems a little overreactive to me. Kind of insane, right? I don't. Uh, it's, just, it's not like Coinbase is the only exchange doing this. So pretty much all of them across the board are doing this because they're switching from proof of work to proof of stake. So, yeah, I hadn't heard anything about other exchanges, but uh, just the stock falling. I feel like this is. It's just weird to see a stock impacted by a decision like this. I think it's going to be absolutely wild to see what happens with the merge but yeah so in reality i think that the stock should be going up on this news because coinbase is going to offer staking with uh eth 2.0 and that gives them another stream of revenue so i think that's a overreaction by the market on that one yeah we'll uh we'll see how it plays out the next one we have talked about these multiple times. Pig butchering scams are on the rise. So Coinbase actually did a blog write-up about this uh, earlier in the week. Tripwire also did a write-up on this. And pig butchering scams are, we've talked about in the context of the SMS messaging, right? So you get the message yep. and it says like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought... Uh, I thought this was Dennis. Is this, is this you? Um, and yes, yeah, so they're they're coming in hot and heavy. Everybody's getting these things. I used to think they were hitting me because I was on the ledger breach, but I, it's now it's just everyone's getting them. I've gotten four to five this week. Just this week. Yep. Yeah. Uh, are do you think they're crypto related, or you you don't know necessarily? I don't think they are. Um, I I don't think my number has been in any breaches or anything that's targeting just crypto. I think it is just a they're casting a wide net with some bots and some you know auto texting software. Yeah, yeah. 
so typical scam, you get contacted through social media, a dating app. They encourage the victim to migrate the conversation to an encrypted messaging service. They claim they have received great financial returns from cryptocurrency or mining. And then in the, on the crypto side, they try to get you to visit a fraudulent trading platform. So they'll get you, you know, hey, I made all this money here on this coin. You should buy some. Use this, you know, you have to use this exchange. And it could be a fake version. You know, the link could be kind of like a phishing site or a real one or just some made up one. And they'll even go as far as to entice you by letting you withdraw some returns in, in some cases. So you, you think you're like, Oh wow, this works. It can't be a scam. I just with, you know, got some money out. It worked well. And then you put more in and then that's when they lock you out in the case of these, that Coinbase is tracking. There's, oftentimes like a tax element. So they say you can't withdraw from the site because you have unpaid taxes. And I mean, I don't even know why they would say that. Why not just lock it and take your money, but whatever. Um, so yeah, the, if she's, if it's too good to be true, a random person reaching out to you via SMS or dating apps probably is. You yep, always got to stay on your toes. Yeah. It's a shame. Like I, I don't know. They're, they're so excessive now. There's so many of these things. Yeah. It's like a sheer numbers game that they catch me at the wrong time. Maybe I might do something stupid. Yeah. Uh, that's why I learned from you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with, with the pig butchering style, like they, they say that some of those are taking, you know, they'll, they'll, um, uh, groom, They'll groom their victims for for weeks, chatting away. You know, if you're some lonely person, and so, anyways, be on the lookout for those. Up next, South Korea to block 16 unregulated exchanges. Some bigger names in there: KuCoin, Poloniex. Uh, according to the report, the law prevents unregistered crypto exchanges from operating without a license. But these 16 firms have been providing crypto services for Korean, for Koreans, and hosting events targeting Koreans. So kind of interesting there, even um, event hosting was getting, was getting pulled in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know where that, that plays in, but uh, up next Canadian exchanges limit purchases to 30 K per year in altcoins that are not BTC ETH Litecoin or BCH. Just strange how did they come about those and like how did litecoin and bitcoin cash make the list of safe investments that you can invest over 30k in but then you know a solana or an optimism or you know a, a bunch of other tokens with utility can't you, they're limiting you and i just kind of wonder who made that decision for them yeah the possibly their the risk department uh cryptocurrency exchanges bitbuy and newton and have imposed new rules. So that's looks like those are the the exchanges that have implemented it. I don't know. Like a net buy limit applies to all altcoins, including Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ether, and Litecoin. 
you made a good point about this too. Like what stops you from buying that ether and going over to, you know, Uniswap or, you know, Shapeshift's Fox um, and basically swapping to what the altcoin of your choice. I don't think there's much they can do to stop you without limiting your withdrawals. So um, weird, a weird step there. Yeah. Okay. So here, this is making more sense, right? So the 300 or the 30K net buy limit applies to all altcoins all altcoin altcoins excluding the coins we've mentioned mm -hmm. um the limit resets every 12 months however on bitbuy customers are classified as retail investors customers are classified as retail investors eligible investors are sophisticated investors retail investors are limited to 30k purchases eligible 100k and there are no purchase limits for sophisticated investors so really what we're seeing here is the private market attempting kind of the uh, SEC style uh, accredited investor stuff that we have here in the US. Yeah, but I bet you they'll still let you go put your money on roulette or blackjack and they'll still let you uh, buy into a lottery, which your odds are way worse than investing in a, you know, a startup dig digital asset. But, you know, hey, they say they're trying to protect people. Yeah, there's a lot of I don't know. I I used to feel pretty strongly that it was it, there's it was a lot of nonsense that you had to be an accredited investor to invest in certain types of investments and things. And after watching what's happened in crypto in the last two or three years, I don't I don't know where I stand anymore. I don't think that I I really don't think that regulation is is an easy thing to get right. And so I'm not just like, Oh, we need regulation. We, we got to regulate this away. We got to, you know, protect people through regulation. But I also, it's, it's a jungle out there and people are, you know, and, and as we're going to talk about later, this anti, this rising anti crypto sentiment, there's a huge thread of that is related to you know, the vulnerable people being exploited. And I don't know. So where does is this a good thing that the private industry is drawing these lines? Or is it going to further, you know, prevent people with less money from getting more money and allow people that have more money to to take bigger risks and thus make more money? Yeah, we'll have to dive into that because I, I definitely got some thoughts, but I'll, I'll wait till we get there. Yeah, up next, seller protocol DNS poisoning. This is what what's a DNS poisoning? Yesterday. So, and it sounds like this is similar to what happened to Curve last week. And we dropped the Curve story in there and and might have misreported on that because DNS poisoning is a little different than DNS hijacking. Like DNS hijacking is a simple conceptually very simple. Imagine if you were you know, you had control of a domain name, you bought it through Namecheap or something, and you owned it. And someone hacked your account and took over control of the DNS and simply pointed it to a different IP address. DNS poisoning is different in that what happens is, is the your Namecheap account or wherever you're hosting your DNS doesn't actually get hacked, but hackers attack uh, independent or individual DNS servers. And what happens in that case then is that you'll have some DNS server out there that gets owned 
and uh, a poisoned record is inserted. So not all customers that were visiting the seller bridge would have received this. It depends on where the individual user got their DNS. Mm, okay. Sorry, I, uh, <clears throat> I had to mute myself and sneeze there. So the DNS poisoning, uh, some info from seller. The seller protocol and smart contracts were not affected during the breach. Seller DNS root record was not compromised and was never modified. Hence DNS poisoning and versus, you know, just like some hijacking. So DNS poisoning can happen. This is also from seller via Twitter. DNS poisoning can happen to any DeFi app front end, regardless of the protocol's own security. And we strongly suggest the entire blockchain community to turn on secure DNS option in your web browsers to reduce such possibility to get affected. The such possibility to get affected. So, uh, yeah, more web two hacks taken over DeFi. This one wasn't, I mean, relatively speaking, it wasn't that bad. $240,000 worth of ETH stolen. So 128 ETH. I know that that's pennies compared to what we normally talk about. Right. Yeah. For some, some of these, these recent, uh, DeFi exploits, this one is, is on the smaller side, but worth paying attention to certainly because it won't be the last time we see DNS poisoning of crypto related sites. That's the weekly news moving on to the deep dive. So a couple different, we were going around with what we wanted to, to dig into here and we're just going to kind of uh, take it easy and not over index on it too much. The first place we're going to go is going to be the Akela bug that was exploited and allowed some attackers to mint stable coins. This one, um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting cause it's like, it's sort of on the DeFi side, but there isn't a lot of information that I've been able to find yet on exactly how the bug worked. So we will, I will keep looking into that and we can maybe dig deeper later on that part, but, um, high level, uh, Akela is a Polkadot based decentralized finance platform. Their native stablecoin is AUSD. It depegged on Sunday and plummeted 99% after this bug was exploited. And essentially there was a new, um, the Akela developers came out and said it was caused by a misconfiguration of the IBTC AUSD liquidity pool shortly after it went live. So what last week we, two weeks ago, maybe we talked about a smart contract bug that had been live for two years before somebody noticed it and went after it. And this particular case, this was quick. They deployed a new liquidity pool and right away, um, somebody, multiple people, it sounds like noticed there was an issue and they went after it. Um, th this I think is that's a good point of just the quickness that these are happening now. And it seems to be speeding up and happening more rapidly. So there might be more eyeballs, more black hats looking at this stuff. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, two years and then 
you know, just uh, almost immediately. So this is interesting because after the exploit was noticed, the Akela team disabled transfer functionality of the erroneously minted AUSD. So Akela lives on its own parachain on Polkadot, and parachains are like custom project-specific blockchains that are integrated with the Polkadot and Kusama networks and can be customized for different use cases. So a wallet believed to belong to the attacker still contains 1.27 billion AUSD. Uh, Akela has asked the White Hat hackers to return the stolen funds. So, okay, so they, they disabled the transfer function and have have frozen some of the funds and it looks like someone has worked out that uh, this alice underscore bob on twitter alice underscore und underscore bob estimated the damage was zero to ten million likely around 1.6 million usd with chance of recovery so that's going to put the the exploited amount, I don't know what that would be then, what, like 8 mil or something, 8 mil USD. Um, you know, uh, peg drops, goes way down, got all the way down to less than a penny, just under a penny per coin. And if we look at the price today, Less than a week later, today specifically, it is up 9,301%. The Akela dollar AUSD is at 88 cents. And likely that's because they've disabled transfer functionality for the attacker. But Wild, yeah. Okay. So I have to, you have to wonder if you can just disable addresses, transfers, abilities on a whim. Doesn't uh, sound very decentralized. Well, it doesn't. And I, as I understand it though, it was, let's see, later on Monday, the Kayla community members created a proposal that would result in the return of all erroneously minted AUSD to the protocol and the tokens later being burnt. So if the community decides and they then have the ability to roll back that mistake it's still kind of decentralized it, it's decentralized you made the decision yeah because right but it, it okay at what point do you just say why do we need a blockchain and why aren't we just using a regular ass database if you just have if, if people can just roll it back at the whim, I feel like we're also getting desensitized to these people freezing withdrawals and stuff when, you know, it started with Celsius and BlockFi. And now it just seems like I hear of a new one every couple of days. And I feel like three years ago, if you heard of a protocol, you know, freezing withdrawals, you would say, okay, that's going to zero. That's done. Nobody's trusting that anymore because, you know, they would say it's not decentralized and what are we even doing here? But then it, it, 
the market is showing with it bouncing 9,000% that maybe people don't care as much as uh, I thought they did. Yep. And I think, I think people that have a vested interest in these particular cases, it seems that perhaps they changed their mind and that decentralization maybe isn't as important. But right, if, if once their money's on the line in that particular case, they say, eh, maybe I don't value it that much. I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like the same old debate like that went down with the Dow and Ethereum and the Ethereum Classic fork. We're gonna we're gonna be seeing a lot of interesting forking news here in the coming weeks. I know there's already influencers that are babbling about how they're gonna fork. Don't want to digress too much there. It's I need to read up more on this Akela and have a better understanding of how they were able to freeze this because I don't want to speak preemptively or prematurely, I guess, to why to, to like how they were able to just, you know, freeze transfers on those accounts and, and things like if you have a parachain and there's a community of a few thousand people that have to tokens there, they can all vote and they can do whatever they want yeah. with the chain. That makes sense. But if it's kind of a centralized voting system where somebody has the majority stake of these voting tokens and they kind of, you know, only a few people made the vote quickly, then, yeah, that's uh, a lot to be concerned about for me personally. Yeah, I, I should follow up on this one because something just doesn't add up. It doesn't doesn't make sense. But that's your the biggest DeFi hack that I could find of the week. So. Yeah, which is. Pretty wild and crazy considering the past, you know, three weeks that we've had have been pretty insane. But, you know, it's kind of nice to to take a, a breath and see some sunshine and not, you know, see any of these $200 million, you know, attacks. So, um, yeah, you know, it gives us less to report on, but I, I can't say that I'm uh, upset about it. Oh, man, it's it's bad out there. And that is a nice segue into the next story. If you're listening every week, you know that I have been going down the rabbit hole of the anti-crypto, no coiners, the butt coin subreddit, spending a fair bit of time in there. It's it's so bad now, Hunt, that every time I open Reddit, I'm not even kidding you. I'll, I will show you this uh, next time we're hanging out. Whenever I open Reddit, immediately it takes me to butt coin, even if it's like their algorithm that algorithm knows what you want bro it will i think it knows that it's like emotionally engaging i guess i don't know yeah like some something some of my behavior somehow has tuned it into that so uh, I, i'd be curious to see if you did an experiment of what your reddit front page led you to during the bull market was that leading you towards more positive and optimistic news and then now that we're in a bear market is it kind of playing with your mind and saying you know well, the prices are going down and, you know, there's less hype and buzz going on right now. So let's, let's show, uh, let's show Zach what, uh, what Buttcoin has to say. Man, I wish we could know. And I, I would love to think of a future where someone someday, like we get insights into some of these massive social platforms and the nature of these algorithms. I think it's, we're, we're going to see it. There's going to be leaks. There's going to be. You know, we've seen some of it already. Employees. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, 
with, with Facebook and things, but like, um, yeah, I, I can't, and they're not, you know, you, you would think like, oh, they must have like a lot of upvotes or why is it, you know, doing this? And I think it's because it, it's something about the way that I engage with the Buttcoin posts. Anyways, this particular post I did not find on Buttcoin. This was a thread on r slash cybersecurity. And the post with only 225 upvotes posted seven hours ago as of this August 18th. 145 and when we're recording this 145 mountain time what companies would you not work for in r slash cybersecurity so the um most upvoted seems to be related to companies that don't allow remote so that makes sense anything not remote 400 upvotes pretty good um a couple other ones basically saying the same thing in different ways about remote and i'm scrolling through and then I see from Hunter underscore gatherer, anything blockchain or cryptocurrency related. And again, the question was, what companies would you not work for? <clears throat> Posted in R slash cybersecurity. And then you have a couple people replying. So that uh, post uh, 254 upvotes as of right now. And couple people responding and then someone asks him, uh, you know, why not? Or, uh, what was the question? Well, what are some of the reasons? And okay. I'm going to read maybe one paragraph at a time from this, maybe one or two. So the first reason, because it's created, a moral and ethical void breeding ground for criminals to scam billions from normal people through brainwashing and targeting of the weakest and most desperate parts of society. It allows corrupt governments and organized crime to bypass sanctions imposed by those trying to protect the interests of the population. Okay, so first one, ethical breeding ground for criminals to scam billions. Moral and ethical void breeding ground. What do you think about that one, Hunt? I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit dramatic. I think that there are definitely some of that going on and, you know, saying that it's the the people who are the weakest um, in society. But there's also people who are, you know, Mark Cuban would be known as one of the better investors and business people in our society. And, you know, he's taken some losses in DeFi and he's, you know, exposed himself to some risk, you know, and I'm sure he's done well, um, in some of his investing in crypto as well. But, you know, saying that it's just the weakest members of society is, is wrong. In my opinion, you have, you know, the, the, some of the strongest and smartest investors in the world looking and actively investing in this space. And so, you know, I think it's a little dramatic, um, from them to say that. And, you know, I, th this guy is a, a security person, but I wouldn't say that, that that makes them an expert in you know the overall market in the space they are very focused on security and we bring it up a lot in this uh, podcast that there are a lot of exploits and hacks and things going on but you know maybe he's just listening to too much id gen and not you know seeing the the grass being green on the other side yeah um 
Yeah, we don't we don't know just because he's in our slash cybersecurity if he or she his avatar makes it looks like a he, but uh, so we'll go with he for now. But we don't we certainly don't know if he's well versed in cybersecurity and these things. However, you know I I read this and it I it obviously as someone who's worked in crypto now for a while it doesn't leave a you know it's it's concerning right, but. When I really get down to it, this idea of a moral and ethical void breeding ground, what is the internet itself? How have we yeah. embedded ethics and morals into these technologies? And, and how, who's to say it's a, it gets to be a very slippery slope if you're going to impress moral and ethical values you know, into a technology like, I don't know. I, I, I certainly, I do not support exploitation of weak and desperate people. I think that's horrible. And that happens with crypto. There's no doubt about it. I think a lot of people would say, well, it happens with all kinds of, you know, um, all kinds of stuff. everything else on the yeah. internet is used to exploit. It happens with credit cards. Oh. That opens you up to being exploited. Yeah. When they used to come onto the college campuses and get you to sign up for these high interest cards when you had no money. And, um, and right. That so was it, the same exact thing. Like that was taking advantage of college kids who didn't know better. And they would like give them a free pizza for signing up for this credit card. And then they'd be tempted to run up their limit, you know, before they were mature enough to know those things. So, I would say that's like human greed and is probably if we really dove deep as existed as, as long as humans have been around that, you know, the people are preying on other people. Yeah. And, and so for, okay, for criminals to scam billions from normal people through brainwashing and targeting of the weakest, but does this person not use credit cards, you know, for those same reasons, banks have, have done this, the, the Wells Fargo, I mean, what those guys were doing was was criminal. I mean, it literally was criminal, right? And and so I'm not saying that two wrongs make a right, but I am, I guess I feel like you, you want to hold everybody to the same standards. And it's a really, you know, Hunt, that I have problems with this, with, with people that try and impose their moral and ethical views into certain, you know, into technology because... W We've, we've had a lot of offline conversations about this, maybe not as many online, but, you know, about the regen versus degen side of things. And I, I want to do positive things for the world and I want the world to be a better place. But at the same time, you know, what is a degen to one person is not the same to another. And, you know, uh, a lot of people that are involved in the regen movement aren't necessarily impacting any positive on the world. They're just using that as a virtue signal and, and things. So I just, it's, it's such a slippery slope and it's so hard to like, to know. So the next one, uh, going back to the post, uh, from Hunter gatherer, uh, it allows corrupt governments and organized crime to bypass sanctions imposed by those trying to protect the interests of the population. Yeah, there's there's stories like that, too. But it also allows us to fund Ukraine when Ukraine is, you know, the rails are cut off for them getting money. And, you know, people are able to donate 
tons of money through cryptocurrency. And I think that there's a lot of the majority of it. He's right. There's a, there's a lot of bad things out there and bad actors, but I, I would also challenge this person to, to debate with some people who are really trying to do good things as well. Um, you know, uh, I am pretty passionate about music NFTs and so far, you know, artists putting out an NFT to tokenize their community, there hasn't been many scams and that's like a valuable way for people to interact and a cool way for people to be, you know, more excited and engaging in the music and have more control over their favorite artist and more influence, not control. And I think that, you know, people aren't talking about that and that's a, that's a, a great use case. And like, so we could all point out the bad things, but I think that, you know, they're, you know, he's, he's got a lot right in this post, but I also think that there's two sides to every story and it's really easy for people to dunk on cryptocurrency when things are down and there's hacks going on, but it's like, where were these people, you know, a year ago uh, when the bull market was going on and maybe they were should be drowning out, drowned out by the hype and the moon boys and things like that. But, you know, it's, it's very easy to dunk on people when they're down, but, you know, I would have a lot more respect for this post if this was during the bull market. And maybe this user did make posts like this during the bull market, but it just seems like um, when it rains, it pours and everybody likes to pile on because, you know, if you're not in the cryptocurrency space, it's so annoying. It's cringe. People are talking about the money they make. They're posting about it on their social media. And I could see if you kind of missed that boat, how you'd have a lot of um, anger and jealousy and, you know, FOMO from from what is going on with other people. And I could see how you would be looking for any reason to kind of um, delegitimize their their concerns. So, you know, I think it's really hard with this person being anonymous. It's really hard to know their reasonings behind this. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They may not be anon. They could, we we could um, dig let's get profile, a, but let's yeah. get hunt gatherer on here and 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 see what uh, see if we can. I'll take the other side of that argument, and you can moderate. Yeah, I mean, I the, part of the reason I wanted to read this is because I watched a film this week, an anti crypto film, and it was so difficult to watch for so many different reasons. And I'm not going to go into all of that here and now, but a lot of these ideas were present there and the presentation was really poor. There were a lot of personal attacks going on and things that just don't resonate with me. And this post I found to be incredibly concise, very clear, very to the point and it makes for it, it. It really does. Um, I think it does a really good job of highlighting some of the issues. Now, this specifically on this topic of allowing corrupt governments and organized crime to bypass sanctions imposed by those trying to protect the interests of the population. Well, to be fair, um, you know some of those. I take objection to the idea that all of this is in the name of all of these sanctions are in the name of protecting the interests of the population. First of all, that is not something every sanction that the government creates. I do not feel is 100% looking out for the people, right? I tend to lean towards sanctions, maybe not as much sanctions, but you know, a lot of these laws and things are geared towards 
helping corporations and, and people that have larger sums of money already. However, um, when it comes to sanctions, um, okay, organized crime bypassing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really difficult to, to, to understand how much money is moving through the black market in cash and other means versus how it's happening in crypto. But there is absolutely no way to dispute that massive sums of money are being moved through now are being. Yeah. But now they're all being tracked too. You know, like look at what's happening with tornado cash and people are realizing that it's like not that easy to do and not very good money to avoid sanctions and be discreet. True on the public, on the public blockchains. But I think to really, for, for me to feel good about assessing what this looks like, we have to look at the overall black market flow of money in including all assets, right? I know that like stolen art is used to launder money. Obviously, drugs is crystals, rocks, gold, diamonds. There, there's all all organized crime and corrupt governments have all types of ways to bypass sanctions to, you know, uh, out there. So to really make for me, for this statement to resonate true, I would need to see, or for me to fully agree, I would love to see that, what those numbers look like with a reasonable degree. And I don't know, you know, let's, uh, let's just speculate that um, all of a sudden it gets worse. Well, if crypto continues to pick up adoption, I think it is going to get worse. I mean, eventually uh, these... These things happened before crypto existed. Okay. okay? And people, you know, corrupt governments and organized crime were bypassing sanctions before. And it's going to continue to happen. And so if crypto picks up adoption, it's going to naturally be used, I think. And so, I mean, US dollar is used. So why... D Definitely. I mean, I feel like I would take the other side of that and say that people are maybe we're just, you know, we, you were just talking about it's really hard to know how much uh, black market is using US dollars, gold, diamond. Maybe this is the first time in history where we're actually able to see some of this dark activity go on on chain and on a public ledger. So we're actually able to catch some of it and track it. Whereas like it was impossible to track or quantify how much of this is going on when it was US dollars or cash or rocks or gold. So maybe that this is just showing like that this stuff is rampant everywhere, but maybe people are getting caught because it's a public ledger. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I guess my my disagreement there is that like things like Zcash, Monero, Aztec Protocol, Tornado Cash, they exist and some of them work really, really well. And, you know, even with cash and other things that are harder to track, it these types, these technologies do open the door for, you know, uh, movements of massive sums of, of money. And yes, the public blockchains aren't as good. And I think that as that messaging, you know, continues to spread, it's still to this day, I see articles talking about, you know, anonymous crypto, Bitcoin, the anonymous cryptocurrency <laughs> and things. Yeah. 
right? But um, I think a lot has changed in the last year, and I think it's coming to it's coming to the realization that's not the case. But I think what we can say safely is that the cat is out of the bag in respect to privacy preserving technologies on chain. And that is not probably going to change. Now, how will further sanctions impact that? That remains to be seen. What we, what we saw last week with tornado cash, there's absolutely looks to be a focus and an effort by the U S government to prevent those tools from being used. And, you know, but I don't know. So there's, there's one, um, I know we're, we're pushing up on our time for the day, but, uh, maybe I'll read one or two more of these and then we can, we can ring it out. So that's only the first two paragraphs. The second, the technology lacks any practical use and 99.9% of use cases are complete lies or impossibilities, fundamentally misunderstanding the problem in quotes they solve. See, see, that makes me distrust everything they're saying in here because that's that's not true. That ninety nine point nine percent are utterly useless. Like, look at being able to take out a loan without a bank and using DeFi. That's not utterly useless. Look at being able to tokenize a deed to a house in you know on the blockchain. That's not useless. Look at you know raising money for public goods. You know, it's not a perfect system, but it's not useless. You know, and so saying ninety nine point nine percent is making me think that this person is just dramatic. And this person is literally like has a vendetta against this. And, you know, I am taking the other side and that's probably my personality on this space. But like, I, I, I strongly disagree that 99.9%, but I might be able to agree that 80%, 85%, but like there are, there are some real use cases out here. What about carbon credits with Klimadao? You know, like, um, that is a use case that is like actually real and be people being able to provide a token for loyalty things, people being able to create a startup where you can get funding like an ICO. Like, yes, most ICOs were garbage, but like that was amazing that you and I could start a company today, make a token tomorrow, and we could have $10 million in funding by the end of the week. Like that wasn't possible before. And like, that's not useless. Like, yeah, a lot of people might take that and do bad things with it, but it's not useless. Interesting. So <clears throat> I'm going to, I, I think I'll go kind of the, a little bit of the other direction, but also the same on this one, maybe not disputing the 99.9 focusing as much on the, the specific number of it in this particular case. But I do agree that, like, I think that blockchain works really, really well when you don't, that there's a need to not trust a centralized party. And a great deal of the use cases that are being marketed, you know, uh, complete lies. Yes. Yeah. I think complete lies and possibilities. Sure. There's some in there. Those I don't. I have empathy for those. If someone is trying to do something impossible, like I, I support people attempting to, to build things that seem wildly impossible or difficult. Like, I don't know the impossibilities is like, how could you ever know? Like a lot of things were considered impossible by most people before they were built. Like, you know, there there's, 
a, a lot of things in the world, like massive bridges, airplanes, right? Like, you know, go back before those things existed and people would be like, that's not possible. You can't fly. And so I will not fault people ever for trying to do something that seems impossible. Um, if they want to build it, you know, go for it. The, I think the problem that I take with it is where it's in how you market it and how you sell it. If you're trying something extremely difficult, I believe you should be honest about it. You shouldn't do the, uh, take the Elizabeth Holmes approach, right. And, uh, and, and take that impossibility and, and lie. And, and that is, you know, a huge problem. So this, this concept, then the end of that one is a fun, fundamentally misunderstanding the in quote problem they solve. Yeah. There's a lot of that. I think there's a huge, I mean, I, yeah, I think that one happens quite a bit. You know, I think I myself am a victim of that one. I also think that in a free market, people should be free to develop, you know, ideas and projects they want. And it shouldn't have to be under this perfect guise. Again, assuming you're not fraudulently marketing your project or lying, which yes, I, I get that massive amounts of people in crypto do, and I don't support that. However, um, I don't know, like not every entrepreneur works in the same way. And the idea that there is this one way to build a company, which is to find a problem and to find a way to solve that problem is to me flawed. I understand that there's a great system for cranking out mostly useless things and, you know, a widget that works a little better because you found a problem in the way someone does this. And now you, you figure you studied it and you use design thinking and now you've made, you know, someone's life a little bit easier. Great. Okay. You know, you make your startup and you make your money. Like that's all, you know, fine. Right. But like just the idea that everybody, you know, it's, it's the, it's a very common attack on blockchain is that when, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? It's that same concept. So we see these, I see these same threads repeating through, uh, obviously for a reason, there's a lot of people that feel and, and truly believe that this is where we're at with blockchain and cryptocurrency technologies. And so I am interested in continuing to dig hunt. How are you doing on time today? Getting pretty close, but you know, I, we got time to wrap it up for sure. Um, there's three more. I've got the screenshot in, there's three more larger paragraphs in here. And, um, if you want to continue reading hunt underscore gatherer posts, I just, I, I like this one. I, I think it's, it's just well-written. It's, um, clear, it's concise that documentary, so-called documentary, whatever it is that was on YouTube that I watched line goes up. That was, Oh my God, two hours. And this guy has basically the same points and they're well-made. So I don't know. I think it's really important to read this stuff. I think that if you were in crypto and web three blockchain, whatever the hell you want to call it, I don't know what, um, the names and they changed web three was a fucking library for, you know, uh, it was a development library. Is it a little presumptuous to call crypto web three? Yes, I think it is. Um, no, not presumptuous. It's the word I'm looking for. Um, 
it's I don't I don't think it's the best. I think it it you know it's it's a different you know thing, but I don't think it necessarily is going to be the evolved thing, right? I think Web two makes sure. sense in Me- many cases. Remember when they used to call the internet the information superhighway? You know, it's like Al Bill Gore. Gates was yeah they, they were all they were all touting it, and it's not a great name. I agree, and but in, in general, Zach, I love that you at least are taking these points because I think in anybody who gets so deep in their um, echo chamber, sometimes it's really easy to look past these things. And I think, you know, when we're looking at all the hype during a bull cycle, it's really easy to look past all the negative sides. And I think it's really good to just kind of keep grounded and and keep at least just talking about this stuff because it is not all sunshine and rainbows out there in crypto land. Um, It is mostly not sunshine and rainbows, but, you know, I think it is ever evolving. And I, I look forward to continuing these type of conversations with you about, you know, some of the flaws that we have and some of the the bad actors that are in this space, because there sure are some and we need to call it out and we need to be educated more as a community to kind of, you know, try to grow. So maybe the number from 80% scams or nefarious actors of the community, maybe it shrinks to 60%, then 40%. And, you know, then all of a sudden we have the majority of people who are doing right things and good actors who are adding value. Yeah. Um, right. And that's really part of the reason that I want to want to bring this stuff to the surface is because the more that I've been reading the anti-crypto sentiment, at times I go back and I look at, I, I've, I think I mentioned in every episode that I don't really like Twitter, but after reading, uh, you know, these, the anti-crypto sentiment, and then going back and looking at some of the web three Twitter stuff, I I'm I start to see it's it's becoming extremely clear how and why this it looks so ridiculous. And I think the only the the truth unfortunately seems to be that it's because it is. There's a lot inside crypto and blockchain, web3, whatever you want to call it, that is absolutely ridiculous. And um I'll read one more one more paragraph uh from this one, because I, I really like this one. Um, crypto itself, as a pseudo commodity, normalizes unregulated gambling and perpetuates a social ideology that the Western financial system is, in quotes, corrupt. Yet, as an industry, has some of the highest ever levels of fraud and corruption seen since the 2008 crisis and turns everything it touches into a microtransaction based uber capitalist construct. Talk about an oxymoron. So there's a lot in that one sentence to to um, to go after unregulated gambling. I completely agree that crypto makes unregulated gambling more easy, and I do not like that. I'm gonna not say a lot more on that particular one, but um, it does tie into the ethical and moral morals of things uh, to some degree, right? Like. Our culture frowns heavily upon gambling and it's, you know, degenerates and, and this, that, and the other. It's very different in a, in a lot of other cultures. Gambling is not seen that way and it depends on your moral and ethical views. So um, the normalization of unregulated gambling, I think there are elements in that that I have to lean towards. I don't, I don't like that. I, I'm not, yeah. I don't think it's a a good thing to normalize unregulated gambling at the end of the day, primarily uh, because I think that without KYC, 
you can get young folks out there gambling. And that I think is not good. The last thing that I want to leave on is if you were looking at the internet in 1998, there were probably a lot of similar criticisms saying the internet is just porno and cyber sex and chat rooms where kids can get, you know, taken advantage of or see things or not. It's only gambling because that was the first things to come out on the internet. Like the first things were porn and and gambling. And it was like, yeah, like 80% of that was bad. But now look at like where the internet has evolved to. And I'm hoping this space evolves as well because, you know, I, I do see the good and it as well, but you know, I, I think it's new technologies in general. Criminals are the first people to adopt them. And, you know, I think when people see the value, more and more good actors will come around as well. But I think we could talk about this, you know, for hours and hours and hours. And I bet it's going to be a theme that we're going to continue to uh, revisit throughout this episode. So not episode throughout this podcast. So, yeah, be, it's funny. Fun. I, I was thinking I was really thinking about this and, and this almost to me takes on the the form of the podcast is uh, sticking with the hacking stuff, which I really love digging into, but also addressing and discussing some of the the anti crypto no coiners sentiment because it's it's super interesting. Uh, I know I think you've got to get going. I just want to say one last thing on this. Uh, it turns everything it touches into a microtransaction and uber capitalist construct. This is one that I think is really interesting, and this. If I understand what he's saying uh, correctly, it is very similar to the reasons that Minecraft um, articulated that they are not why they don't want crypto or NFTs involved in their game at all, and that's because it encourages you know monetization, right? And um, this, this capitalist construct, and that is, yeah, I think I I really agree with that. I just it you can see. And when you when you make when you put incentives into all types of different systems and there's they they have financial connections to them, they just it changes the game. And it is not um, I feel like the world would be a better place with less of that stuff. So to be fair, there are also a small but emerging set of use cases, you know, things like POAP and even, um, you know, the tokens of appreciation that I've built into Zevo that uh, aren't focused on money. It's just, hey, this is like a, a nice thing to do here. You've got this token. It kind of shows that you helped us out. It's not supposed to be worth any money. So um, the the those other use cases exist. They're just not. I don't think people care as much. And as a result, like, I think this is a really interesting thing. I think that this is a really interesting point that he makes. Now, again, I really, um, imposing one's own ethical and moral values into the systems is highly dependent on the social, uh, connections that you made growing up and how you live and how you see the world. And, you know, I, I don't know, it, it's a, it's a very slippery slope when we talk, you know, the highest levels of fraud, like, yeah, like this is, it's insane what goes on in, in the crypto scamming world. And, uh, I don't know. Um, this is turned into almost an hour long. I don't have any problems 11. with 
yeah that was a lot of fun we never have problems finding up fun stuff to discuss yeah well thanks uh for for joining and doing this again hunt and uh we will you know catch you guys back here hopefully next week awesome appreciate you zach that was a lot of fun peace later Thank you.